Chris Tire Information Whiskey, 2153 Zulu, wind 0605. Zero, zero, Seriously, Mike Juliet, this is Archer Radar Contact. Hazardous weather information from Minnesota available on flight service frequency. You've dialed in the Flying Midwest Podcast, connecting aviators from across America's heartland. Sharing news, information, and events from around the region. Sit back, relax, and join our crew for some hangar talk as we discuss a wide variety of regional aviation topics. And now, from our home at the Anoka County Blaine Airport. Our checklist is complete, and we're ready for departure for another episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. What is going on, everyone? Jim here with the Flying Midwest Podcast. So happy you're able to join us. We are once again joined by AOPA's Regional Manager for the Great Lakes Region, Kyle Lewis. He'll talk more about his role with AOPA and how he got started. And as always news, information, and events from around the region with some friendly hangar talk along the way. So strap in and let's take off into this episode of the Fly Midwest Podcast. What's up, guys? I think you should try one more time. What's up, guys? Hi, Trevor. What's up? Hey, Trevor. What's up? What's up? What's up? A lot. <laughs> What's up? Was that? We'll bring it all the oh way back God. to that. No, 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 you're not going there. No. Maddie, do you know that it? reference? Yes. Why does it look like I'm severely disappointed in you? <laughs> you shouldn't be. It was awesome. It was a great time to be alive. Damn Skippy. Welcome to the I Flying am. Midwest podcast. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> What's that? Ah. Hi, hi, that hi. is 100% going to be the start of this episode. <laughs> Hundred percent. There's we're committed. There is no going back now. What's the story in your plane, Jim? It's down for annual. What? How much? How it's much longer? Annual. Still? Um, I don't know. Like another week, maybe. Another annual. <laughs> no, it's he just started last Friday, so oh takes really? A week oh, I thought it was it down done. before. It was. Or was you? Were you no. waiting on a part? Um, no, I'm lazy and don't get to the airport. <laughs> the night we're recording this, Tuesday the eleventh. MSP had a bit of an issue today with some smoke in the tower cab. So, sounds like there was maybe a bit of a ground stop for a while, and they're trying to resolve what that issue is. Um, Joe Check, who was on our last episode, posted something on his Instagram about how there was an issue that they were investigating. So, we may hear more about that on our next episode. But I don't. Those damn controllers are chain smoking. Like the airplane scenario, I picked the wrong day to quit smoking. <laughs> <laughs> so. Sorry, that oh, was kind of forced, but it's not whatever. <laughs> that was it it's was like funny. Picked the wrong day. Quit sniffing glue. It's like I picked the wrong day to stop burning popcorn in the break room. Yeah. I, I don't think that that's what it was. It sounds like there was a real issue of some sort. Yeah, but uh, maybe we'll hear more on that in the future. So, without further ado, should we get into some news? Coming in from EAA, uh, there's a new parts program which uh, they claim is a big win for vintage aircraft. So EAA has been, uh, they've been doing a lot of advocacy efforts. The FAA has unveiled a new program to use off-the-shelf parts in type certified aircraft. This is the first approval granted under the uh, the VARMA, the Vintage Aircraft Replacement and Modification Article Program, is kind of like the next step in keeping air, uh, vintage aircraft flying. Now, anyone that owns classic aircraft uh, knows that it can be very hard to find parts. Now, these parts... They can't be, previously they couldn't be used in, a, in any sort of legal way on an airplane, but with uh, with the inability to locate parts and then those parts being extremely expensive, this program allows existing policies uh, that, don't, that doesn't recreate any new regulations, orders, advisory circulars, and applies to aircraft that are uh, less than 12,500 pounds and aircraft built before 1980. Allows ordinary maintenance personnel to, uh, to validate uh, certain low-risk replacement parts to make sure that they're suitable for installation on the aircraft. And this is without any sort of extensive engineering, analysis, complex, uh, time-consuming designs, production approvals from the FAA. Now, the FAA went ahead and did a, a its first 337 with the EAA on a Cessna 150, 
where a uh, off-the-shelf starter solenoid was used as a sub as a uh, substitute part. Now the system is generally relevant for flight safety, so the FAA was more inclined to go ahead and give that approval. And since this article has been written, the FAA has also been uh, granted approval for alternators, um, voltage regulators, and VFR aircraft. Last week, a federal judge in Wisconsin sentenced a man from Minnesota on Friday this last last Friday to two years in prison for aiming a laser at a Delta Airlines aircraft in 2021, which um, the act was said by prosecutors uh, that it disrupted the pilot's efforts to land and put passengers in, quote, incredible danger. This gentleman was from a native of Rochester, and he pleaded guilty in January. Um, in 2021, laser strikes on planes and helicopters hit a record of a 41% increase over 2020. Uh, reported 9,723 incidents. That's according to the FAA. The FAA also handed out $120,000 in fines in the last year. Um, anybody who decides to do this incredible act of stupidity can face up to five years in prison. According to the attorney's office um, in Madison, the pilots of the Delta flight from Raleigh-Durham to Minneapolis-St. Paul on October 29th of last year reported that their cockpit was lit up three times by blue bright blue laser um, at 9,000 feet, and they were just west of R River Falls in Wisconsin. At the time, um, ATC had just given them instructions to change runways, so they had to actually change their route and go to a new course and brief a new approach. So the laser strikes actually caused a major distraction, not only because it's, one, distracting, but they were not able to look at their EFBs for their um, approach briefing. So they ended up being fine. They were able to put everything in, they landed safely, but um, the first officer didn't suffer any uh, disruption to his vision, but the captain said that the vision in his right eye was affected for several hours. So the only reason this guy was really caught, actually, um, was because ATC called uh, Minnesota State Patrol aircraft, which flew to River Falls. This aircraft was also struck by a blue laser, funnily enough. So the pilots actually spotted the suspect and worked with the River Falls, River Falls police, found the dude with the blue laser on his person. Good job, buddy. You done did it. He was arrested in 2017, and he shone a flashlight, shined a flashlight into the eyes of his arresting officer. That's so nice. This, they call, no, not at all. They called this act uh, incredibly dangerous and reckless, and this um, temporary blindness put everybody on the aircraft in incredible danger. So, yes, it is a big thing. If you ever think of doing it Shining laser up this guy, even if it's just for fun. Don't. Please don't be dumb. Um, this guy clearly knew what he was doing, and it's hilarious that he literally sealed his own fate by doing it to the people who were looking for him. But hey. Hey, F around and find out. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> this is a classic example. <laughs> All right, back to you, Trevor. Let's talk about uh, kind of on the border between Wisconsin and Minnesota. Red Wing. Okay. In Red Wing, my family had to be rescued via helicopter in Red Wing when they got stuck on an icy snowpack northern face of uh, of a bluff. They said a mom, a dad, a three-year-old were not injured, and the uh, air rescue team is uh, was they had coordinated efforts between the uh, St. Paul Fire Department and the Minnesota State Patrol, their aviation division. So those guys doing the Lord's work, saving people from big bluffs. The Minnesota Air Rescue Team specifically is, as you kind of mentioned, that cooperative effort between the State Patrol's aviation unit and the St. Paul Fire Department has a specific advanced rescue team that goes in and assists on rescue operations like this. And they've done stuff, Red Wing, they've done stuff up on the North Shore where this team comes together in those times of emergency to conduct these types of rescues. So it's a really cool resource to have around. Indeed. Moseying over to Indiana. Last month, there was a legislative state house day for aviation um, in Indiana. So uh, this was a big uh, thing, including a dozen state legislators and AOPA, including Kyle Lewis, who represented uh, pilots and aircraft owners. 
in the state and communicated the importance of general aviation airports in the state. Uh, Kyle Lewis was cited saying, These community airports in Indiana are vital to the economic stability and sustainability of aviation in Indiana. Aviation Indiana is a wonderful example of how a state association can promote and protect general aviation airports. The aviation manager for the Indiana DOT, whose name is Marty Blake, stressed that the voices of GA airports are actually imperative when it comes to funding decisions. The FAA Airport Improvement Program was a topic of discussion at this uh, event, with Blake forecasting over $1.5 billion in eligible projects across the state. Um, this, these things include uh, pavement rehab, ramp and taxiway construction, obstruction removal, property acquisition, lighting projects, things in that vein. The AOPA and Aviation Indiana are also monitoring multiple bills that are currently under consideration in state legislator, uh, one of them being the state budget, which... In its original version, originally allocated $25 million towards aviation-specific funding for Indiana airports. That language was removed, so um, attention has now been turned to the Senate version of the bill, which is currently awaiting a revenue forecast. There's another piece of state legislation that may impact air airports in the state. Um, that one would void an administration rule requiring a 50% local match on certain projects funded by the state. Um, this would drop that local match to 25%, which would benefit small airports that struggle with local funding since, you know, not all airports have that kind of support. So this would uh, be a big deal for them as well. Um, we will be continuing to monitor the situation and AOPA will be there advocating for those pilots and airports in Indiana. Hey, you know what's funny about that last article, Maddie? Hey. We talked about Kyle Lewis and he's our guest on this about... episode. That is correct. Okay. So do we have any more news or is that it? That's it. And that's it. Off to events. I'll tell you about some events. You know what we're going to talk about, though, right? Let's hear it. It's the plethora of pancake breakfasts. As is only right. And our first event is the Rod Throwbridge Memorial Fly-In. This event will be held April 21st and 22nd at the Cook Airfield in Derby, Kansas. This event is free to the public and includes raffles and giveaways. Plus, enjoy five live bands, food trucks, helicopters and skydivers, and free flights for the kids. More information at www rtthoroughbridgefly-in.com. Also on April 22nd, the Wheels, Tracks, and Wings Fly-In hosted at the Elbow Lake Airport in Elbow Lake, Minnesota. This event will run from 11 a.m. until 3 p.m. They will include Young Eagle flights by EAA Chapter 1174, food concessions, and military display including T-6 Texan flyovers, and much more. This event is free admission and open to the public and fun for all ages. Up next, the Food Truck Saturday event at the West Michigan Regional Airport. This event will be April 22nd from 11 a.m. until 5 p.m. They're excited to welcome back several food trucks, including pizza and barbecue. Next up is a Saturday barbecue at the Union County Airport in Marysville, Ohio. This event will be April 29th from 10 a.m. until 2.30 p.m. The Union County Airport is happy to announce that Triple P Barbecue will be serving lunches at the event. These events are planned to run April through September, so check those guys out. Next up, the Fiesta Fly-In on May 6th of 2023. From 10 a.m. until 1 p.m., there'll be a fly-in and drive-in for tacos and fun at the EAA Club Hangar at the Lordsville, Illinois Airport. Join them as they celebrate Cinco de Mayo Plus One, hosted by EAA Chapter 114. Up next at the Chippewa Valley Regional Airport, May 6th from 8 a.m. until 11 a.m. will be a pancake breakfast and fly-in. Suggested donations are $5 per person. They will also host Young Eagle aircraft rides, airplanes on display, and more. All proceeds of this event will go to the Eau Claire Civil Air Patrol Squadron, as well as EAA Chapter 509. On Saturday, May 13th, from 8 a.m. until noon, join EAA Chapter 838 for their pancake breakfast at the Baden International Airport in Racine, Wisconsin. This event is $10 for adults and $5 for children 12 and under. They will also have a Young Eagles Rally for youth aged 8 through 17. Pre-registration is required. For more information, visit them at www.eaa838.org. And finally, returning for its ninth year, the annual Great Minnesota Aviation Gathering. This event will be held on May 19th and 20th at the Buffalo Municipal Airport in Buffalo, Minnesota. Last year, over 800 people attended the two-day event, so take this opportunity to check out hangar flying sessions, exhibitors, EAA chapters, and many exhibits. More information is available at mnpilots.org forward slash GMAG. And that will do it for this episode's events. In this episode, we're joined by Kyle Lewis. He's the Great Lakes Regional Manager for AOPA. We're going to learn a little bit about Kyle 
what his aviation background is, and how he got into this line of work. And it's not necessarily the route that you may think it would be. So he's going to share his story and talk to us about um, what his role is and some of the things that he's found rewarding about that job. Let's welcome back Kyle Lewis. So tell us a little bit about your background in aviation. So I think I took my first airplane ride when I was six years old. Uh, it's one of those memories you can remember it, but you don't remember all the details. But uh, it was actually in in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, in a uh, an old Waco that was selling rides at the beach, you know. And uh, my dad and I took took the ride, and I think ever since then I was hooked. Um, when I was eight years old, I started flying RC, you know, model airplanes. And uh, that was back in the day before they were all foam and electric and, you know, they were actually kind of dangerous with the gasoline engine. You know, you had to go through the whole process of cleaning them off after you flew them, all that oil would be all over the bottom. And and uh, anyway, so I flew those, gosh, since I was eight, and I still do. I uh, still have a pretty, pretty hefty collection of those. And then, uh, you know, I, I always wanted to get my pilot's license. I never took any lessons until I went to college, Ohio University. Uh, in Athens, Ohio, not the Ohio State University, went to Ohio University. Shockingly, that wasn't originally right out of the high school. Uh, I wanted to go into uh, broadcast journalism. Okay. Uh, I wanted to be a commentator for NASCAR races, if you can believe that. So, but anyway, I realized that uh, flying was a little bit more fun and something I really wanted to do. So, uh, went to Ohio University, went through their uh, 141 aviation program. I uh, got the degree in aviation from OU. Uh, and then as life happened, I actually spent uh, about 10 years in law enforcement here in Ohio after college. Uh, I did get to fly a little bit with their aviation section that the state had, um, but never assigned to it, nothing like that. Then I ended up, um, I was actually at work one night. I worked midnight shift for the majority of, of that career. And uh, being an AOPA member since I had started flying, got a newsletter because we all get their newsletters, right? Like all <laughs> all five hundred of them. Don't worry, uh, we'll we'll force you into submission on reading a newsletter <laughs> every uh, Friday morning. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, there were uh, you know job openings, and and those are tailored you know for for your geographic area, and this was for a regional manager, Great Lakes region. Uh, so I read the job description. It was very vague, which ends up as a very good thing. Uh, so I think I went home the next morning and actually kind of cleaned up my resume that I hadn't looked at since college and applied. Uh, now, in the meantime, while I worked uh, uh, in the law enforcement career, I was still, I was on a local airport authority, was on Ohio University's Alumni Aviation Advisory Board, uh, built the RV. So I was still tied to aviation kind of on the fringes. So I applied for the AOPA regional manager position, and within a few days, uh, I got a phone call from, uh, at the time, the, the current vice president of government affairs, and we had just a 30-minute phone call, you know, kind of a phone interview. You know, she kind of put me through the process of a panel interview with our HR folks and other staff in government affairs and went through the interview process and then didn't hear anything, you know, quiet, crickets. So I thought, well, you know, gave it a shot. And uh, about a month later, uh, I got a call from our HR department uh, saying, hey, are you still interested in the job? Uh, Jim Kuhn, who's our uh, senior vice president of government affairs, uh, would like to have a, a, a meeting with you. And uh, I said, yeah, I'm still interested. And they set it up. And, and I remember it to this day because it was the day after Ohio State lost the national championship. And they, they zilched out. Right. I mean, it was just a horrible, horrible loss. And uh, so the interview was a lot of Ohio State ripping from from Mr. Kane. Um, <laughs> but anyway, then then we kind of got into the nitty gritty details of of uh, of a more formal interview. And and it only lasted 15, 20 minutes. Very short to the point. And uh, lo and behold, here I am today. And I and after all those interviews, I still really didn't know what the job was. Uh, other than it was AOPA, you're representing general aviation, uh, you know, in some capacity in the region. Uh, so, so here I am. Uh, that's kind of the, the short summary. Do you know what you do now? <laughs> that was my actual. Oh, yeah. no, not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get the checklist out every day. 
Uh, so there are six others besides me. We all have a region. They mirror the FAA regions. Um, really? We're all pilots. We're all current. Uh, so we're all flying. We have one one gentleman up in Alaska, Tom George, uh, and he has Alaska all to himself. And there's a lot of unique issues in Alaska, especially oh, other related yeah. ADSB air traffic control. Yeah. Uh, so he is a huge asset uh, for all the aviation activities up in Alaska. So I have to imagine that networking is a pretty important part of your role too. And you talked a little bit about that earlier about networking with some of these, um, you know, state pilot associations, things like that. How does that typically work in your position? Do you go to different events? Do you um, just go to meetings with them, things like that? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll use Minnesota as an example. Uh, there are two very uh, good pilot associations in Minnesota, the Seaplane Pilot Association that I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, which is uh, their president, is Steve Getter. I don't know if anybody knows Steve. Uh, he's an employee at Whip Air. Uh, he kind of yep. runs their- Cross paths with him a time or yeah. two. Yeah. Uh, so I've known Steve for five years now. We're actually very good friends. Uh, and and Randy Korfman with the Minnesota Pilot Association. Sure. And Randy is also a great guy. Uh, he has put his heart and soul into that Minnesota Pilot Association. And they have their great Minnesota Aviation Gathering, uh, which is actually coming, coming up in May. Uh, so we do our very best uh, to make it to those events. Uh, you know, we may maybe sponsor something at the event. Uh, you know, we have the vendor booth, and then I will go and present on a topic. You know, they want to hear about uh, the unleaded fuel. They want to hear about airport advocacy. Uh, you know, I will go and do that. Uh, the safety briefing, you know, uh, I've done a couple of those, even though I'm not with our Air Safety Institute. I can still go do that. You know, or uh, or sometimes, you know, Mark Baker, uh, our CEO, he is a pretty heavily requested guy to come to certain things and talk. Uh, and if he can't make it, I'll go bill in. Hey, I'm Mark Baker. Not really. But, uh, <laughs> you are the understudy uh, for those. Yes, events. I'm the understudy. Yes, yes, you get the understudy. He he's a he's a Minnesota guy, and uh, he's he's introduced me to a lot of folks up there in in Minneapolis and the cities and on farther north. Uh, and and Mark, uh, not just as the CEO of AOPA, he is the right guy for that job. I guarantee oh, yeah. you that. Um, he is a very humble, and he's an excellent pilot. Uh, yeah, he's a very skilled pilot. Uh, don't let him fool you. Uh, he uh, obviously he, he has had a very storied career in the retail business, and he will tell you that uh, he would never work for a nonprofit unless it's AOPA. And another thing we'll get into is he has really stood up the Airport Support Network program, ASN program, uh, which just hit a huge milestone last year, 25 years uh, wow. of that program. Has it really uh, been so, that long? Yeah. So that was started by Bill Dunn and Phil Boyer back in 1997. And, um, and I would admit when I came on board at AOPA, um, they were you know, trying to figure out what is the best way to manage that program. Because uh, imagine 2,000 volunteers, right? And, and these are volunteers that are doing labor at the airport, but these are volunteers that are engaging at the airport. And they're the guys that know what's going on at their airport. They're going to the airport authority meetings. Maybe they're on an airport advisory board, you know, the airport tenant association, whatever it is. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you manage 2000 volunteers? Uh, so, it, and it was actually being, uh, at one point in time, there were two full-time staff at AOPA, but that's all they did was ASN program. Uh, and it was decided, Hey, the regional managers, they're already working these airport issues. They're out in the regions. Uh, they're engaging with pilot associations and airport associations. Um, they should be the ones engaged with the volunteers, and and we are. Uh, so we divide that up regionally now. And in, in the Great Lakes region, uh, in the eight states, I have roughly 420 volunteers. Nice. Uh, which is over what? half of the public use airports in, in, uh, in the region. Uh, it's probably two-thirds of the NIPIUS airports uh, in the region. So... We, we've really been recruiting, we've been promoting the program, we've been updating a lot of the, the resources and materials available online. So if, if you're interested, if you're at your airport and you're engaged uh, and you want to do more for your airport, you just don't know where to look, uh, aopa.org slash ASN. Um, you can learn about the program. Uh, you can nominate yourself to be a volunteer. Uh, and, and they're in direct line of communication with us. Uh, and there are literally hundreds of pages of resources 
uh, on the website that our volunteers have access to. We have special events for our volunteers throughout the year. We do that at Sunfun, Oshkosh, and and we use them as a test bed too, right? Maybe there's some uh, surveys that uh, on data collection about airports. You know, who best to go to is our ASN volunteers. Yeah, uh, we're working on hangar surveys, uh, trying to capture that picture of what's hangar availability look like. Uh, the yeah. FAA does not inventory <laughs> hangars. Uh, there there's nobody that's data collecting. How many hangers are on an airport? Uh, you know, I like to keep, have that open door policy. You know, give me a call, shoot me a text message, send me an email. Uh, and and if I don't know the answer, there is somebody in AOPA that does. You know, hangar leases, that's probably the number one thing we get questions about uh, in our airport advocacy. Uh, land use and hangar leases. Uh, now, again, we're not attorneys at, at our level, but we will review a lease for uh, regulatory. Does it meet FAA and state compliance on hangar use? Some states do have uh, hangar use rules. Um, so we'll review it for that and we'll make some comments, you know, say, hey, maybe you should look at trying to push the airport authority in this direction. Um, but, you know, when it comes to the legal ease of the lease, we, we tend to not get involved in that. Uh, our legal services, AOPA, Pilot Protective Services, which are legal services plan. Uh, they can review a lease uh, and take a look at all those legalese questions that might come up, uh, especially if it's more of an HOA-style uh, lease or you're purchasing a hangar uh, on that leased land and there's the reversion clauses and you know insurance identifications. Um, definitely, and this is my word of advice on purchasing a hangar or building a hangar on a pump-use airport where you're leasing land and building a private hangar. I know the Mac, that's nearly all the hangars are, are like that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how mine is. Read, yeah. Read your lease. Understand what the reversion is. Uh, some airports may never enact that reversion clause. Some airports might. We have members that come to us and say, I just bought this hangar two years ago, and they're reconfiguring a runway, and my hangar is going to get torn down. Um, and it, it's happening or, Hey, we're leasing this property to an FBO. We can only give you another two year lease because at that point we're reverting the property back to the airport and leasing it out to somebody else. It's entirely legal. The reversion itself is not required. So that's the little difference, uh, that we look for, uh, oh. the FAA, what they care about, they want to see that a lease being offered matches the investment. So if you're going to build a hangar and they give you a 20-year lease to the FAA, that's probably fair and reasonable, right? You can amortize $100,000 over 20 years. What would not be reasonable is that $100,000 on two years. That's probably not fair nor reasonable. It's not necessarily fair to what you think or I think, but it's fair and reasonable, obtainable, and they treat everybody the same. So that's my advice. If I can tell my, my members anything, uh, Please read your mayor leases. Uh, understand what that reversion means. Uh, negotiate your lease. Uh, and also be active in the planning processes of the airport. The master planning, it's a public forum for master planning. And I, I encourage you to be involved in that, to understand what's going on. So what is it that you enjoy most about the job? Well, I think it's, it's interacting with our membership. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I am lucky enough. I get to travel to a lot of different places uh, in the Midwest. Uh, I would not recommend Bismarck in February. <laughs> and, and you meet a lot of interesting people. You know, pilots are kind of a uh, eclectic group by themselves. And then when you drill down into certain subgroups in aviation, you know, the aerial applicators, the guys that, you know, spray the sure the, the fields and the, you know, the firefighting stuff, those guys are just amazing. Uh, and you know, very skilled, very humble. And, you know, they, they get in an airplane like they're getting on a tractor, and it's it's just amazing. So I think that's my favorite part about the job is being able to go out and meet our membership, um, and then when we do have a win, you know, saying, "Hey guys, we did this together." That's the that's the ultimate goal. It's not me that's doing it. It's not AOPA that's doing it. I'm talking AOPA staff. It's literally our membership that that gets this done. Uh, but for what we've accomplished in recent years with uh, Basic Med, uh, the last FAA reauthorization that came through. Uh, ATC privatization, uh, that was a big fight. Uh, we have accomplished a lot, and it's it's because of 
Number one, everybody is passionate about aviation. It really comes down to one voice, one message. Honestly, I think that's where AOPA shines. I mean, you guys yeah. are able to, to consolidate that all these different voices and all these different personalities because, I mean, we're all pilots. We're all very opinionated. No, very, very opinionated. Uh, you look at social media <laughs> on any given topic, right? And uh, Yep. You know, yeah, sometimes I, you feel I, this stuff and, boy, AOPA didn't do this, AOPA didn't do that. Well, I mean, we, we don't have a magic wand. That's what I tell. Any, right. Anytime there's an issue that pops up, you know, at any airport or whatever it is, that, that we don't walk in with a big hammer and we don't hit the airport manager in the head and say, you're doing bad things. We just, that's not our style. You know, we have to be very strategic. We would rather make friends rather than make enemies, for sure. Uh, otherwise, you're barking at another dog and that doesn't, that doesn't fix anything. Right. Uh, so we can, we can give strategies. We can give advice uh, on how to handle it. But really, the thing that works the best is those many voices. You know, mm -hmm. one message, many voices. Do you have any specific big wins that stick out to you? One big win uh, that that I was involved in is the turf operating areas. Uh, so we all know about these. Almost every airport, not every airport, but a lot of airports have next to the primary runway, maybe a little mowed grass strip. It's not really a runway. You know, they land the tailwheels on it or the ultralights or whatever. Those did not exist anywhere in FAA policy. You know, they were just kind of like, they were their own nebulous thing, right? And we would get, you know, this all happened three years ago. Uh, got calls from our members. Hey, my airport's saying this is illegal. You know, I can't land here. They're not letting us use it. They're going to evict us out of our hangars if we keep using it. You know, so it, it kind of bubbled up in this big issue. And actually, I think it was an airport manager or a, a airport authority president uh, at an airport called the FAA. And he wanted an answer on the legality of these little turf runways. The FAA called us. <laughs> hey, AOPA, <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you know about these things? <laughs> so it, it became this kind of little working group. And we had two or three meetings with FAA, with the engineers in D.C. that write the policy. Um, and we were able to change the airport design manual uh, to include what they are calling diverse turf operating areas. Uh, so that's what these are called. They're not runways. We help write that policy. Uh, we made comments, and we pretty much got what we wanted. We wanted them to be acknowledged, number one. They're not illegal, uh -huh. right? Which they never were. They were just never referenced anywhere. Uh, and number two, we wanted to call out who could use these things. And it came down to helicopters. You know, obviously, training in helicopters, they don't want to mess the kids up on pavement, right? So they go over the grass but really, it's the tailwheel guys, right? A lot of these antique airplanes, they're better suited for grass. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we went to research this topic, you know, I called uh, a FISDO managers. Said, hey, here's a scenario. What do you think about this? And every FISDO manager I talked to said, hey, if the pilot, the PIC, feels that it's A, safer, or B, more suitable for that aircraft to be operated on the turf, go for it. Uh, there's no major obstructions, right? You're not landing over a Pappy light system or something like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, obviously, you know, go for it. And uh, a lot of these things are already in existence. The FAA is not coming out and inspecting them. They're not coming out and, you know, shutting them down. This was an airport by airport issue. Uh, but now, uh, if a group of pilots want one of these, there is now in the airport design manual, chapter two, uh, they can go and read that up. Take it to the airport manager and say, hey, right here are the steps to create one of these. Um, so that was kind of a big win. They came out last March in the airport design manual. That's awesome. Honestly, every time I see something, something pop up, you know, whether it be an FAA decision or, you know, something in Congress or whatever, the things I see reported, it's, you know, gives the details of everything. And then it says, representatives from the AOPA and the RAF and the EAA are doing XYZ to try and mitigate this or change this or asking more questions or whatever, getting clarification. You guys are our last line of defense, really, yeah. and are really the biggest lobbyists we have for any of this. And I think we're incredibly lucky to have you and the other those other two organizations in those areas and on even on the local and very small level to have that yeah yeah they, they do yeah and that goes back to our networking and relationship building uh you know in the region i i 
I talk on a regular basis with our, uh, on the airport side of the FAA, but they are, they, they do come to us quite a bit saying, hey, what do, what are your members, what are you hearing from your members on this issue? Um, you know, whether it be an operational sort of thing uh, or if it's an airport related topic. We are more than a magazine. Yeah, it's a good magazine. You know, I, yeah. I, I still read it. Oh, yeah. AOP is a very interesting organization. Uh, it's a very strategic, very thoughtful organization. We do put our members first. You know, they're just trying to do their job and, and safety is their number one priority. And that's on the airport side. That's on the ATC side. And that's at the FISDO side. Beautifully and, put. Yeah. And, and AOPA, <laughs> I should be a poet, right? Uh, <laughs> and AOPA with our Air Safety Institute, the um, 100%, you know, Richard McSpadden, uh, uh-huh. really, really neat guy. You know, Richard is really driving home the fact of new media, new media platforms uh-huh. for the safety message. I just want to put a, a, a shameless plug in, in for our Air Safety Institute. Also, our You Can Fly program with the high school STEM. That can be an uh-huh. entire... Uh, episode on its own. Oh, that, uh, that is the 100% funded by uh, donations to the AOP wow. Foundation. Really? If, if you're looking for a worthwhile charity, so to speak, to donate to, uh, the AOP Foundation is top notch. You know, the, the safety message is getting out there uh, on the YouTube videos and Richard's, um, uh, you know, early analysis on some of these incidents that have happened. Yep. Uh, I think last year it was a crazy number 14 million views. Most of that material is open to the public. You don't have to be a member to to access that uh, because we are trying to get the safety message out to everyone. I Kind of a shameless plug, if you're looking to donate, you want to donate AOPA Foundation. None of the foundation dollars go to our political action committee. That is entirely separate. Uh, so don't think if you donate to the foundation, we're going to give it to a politician. Because that's, that's not how it works. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Um, and, and again, you know, the day-to-day operations of AOPA, advocacy, what I do, uh, that's your membership dues. Uh, that, that's your dues of work. Advocacy is the priority of our dues. Um, and then also the magazine is funded through sponsor, you know, uh, our partners, advertisements, et cetera. So, but please, if you're looking to donate, um, can't stress it enough, all the safety material that's presented online and in person uh, is 100% uh, donations. I don't think there's a pilot out there who, one, hasn't seen the ASI videos, and two, wouldn't say that they were pivotal in their flying journey at some point. I know for me, all like a ton of the resources, including like the online interactive things, I had to do them for school, but they still stick in my brain, and I did them in 2019. Yeah. Like, that's incredible, and it's, you know, definitely impacted me. I know it impacts my students who who uh, watch those kinds of videos all the time in their um, safety classes. Like, this stuff does change general aviation for the better, I think. What do you got next, Jim? Let me ask you this question then. What is your most memorable... I can talk. (laughs) I can totally talk. This is where bloopers come from. Yeah. (laughs) What is your most memorable experience working with AOPA? Oh, good grief. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Working with EAA. Working with the E, E I E I O. Okay, I'll tell you this. So it's it's kind of one of those funny stories. So my dad and I would go to Oshkosh every year. We'd fly the airplane up, camp out of the way, do the whole nine yards, and and we were just there spectators, right? We're there to enjoy the show and park our lawn chairs right over by the red barn that were up there to watch the air show and golf carts everywhere. I mean, just you know, one right of the other, you know, golf carts all the time. My dad was getting so mad because there's golf carts everywhere. And he said, uh, this is crazy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think he actually emailed EAA about it. Um, but anyway, uh, so after I got hired for AOPA, my first year at AirVenture working uh, at, at the big show, it's definitely different than being there as a spectator. Mm-hmm. Um, I got sent on a mission to go pick up somebody way out on the other side of the airport. Here's a golf cart key go get them, you know, bring them back. And I remember driving almost in the exact same location where we were watching the air show, you know, just a <laughs> couple of years earlier. I think I took a selfie in a golf cart <laughs> at AirVenture. <laughs> and I said that to my dad. I said, I think I've made it somewhere in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's one. I think another memorable moment, uh, to kind of put it in perspective, 
Um, it was kind of a big legislative issue a few years ago. I was still fairly new at AOPA. A uh, pretty detrimental bill in Michigan that would have recategorized private airports. Um, it would have um, basically made flying clubs commercial operations. Uh, again, there's a lot of preemption at the federal level on this, but I heard about uh, that. Th this was a pretty big deal. It would have affected, uh, you know, the agricultural aerial applicators. It would have affected medevac pilots, you know, skydiving, all of these things. Wow. And in a matter of days, uh, hours, actually, not even days, we had 20 of our members and industry representatives at a hearing in Lansing uh, to provide testimony against that bill. Uh, that wow. Was, that was pretty neat. To yeah, be that's impressive. To be able to coalesce that group and have a message, uh, and, and that bill never saw the light of day out of committee. That that was pretty neat. To basically make a few phone calls and call out the troops and and be there in Lansing, you know, forty eight hours later for a hearing and and have that happen. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And had, and, and had that not Very happened, close. it probably it probably made it through committee, made it into because oh, this yes. is such a great great idea. Yeah, because people, you know, people don't know, right? Imagine. They don't know about a lot of this stuff. And, and it would have led to a lot of lawsuits if it would have got passed. But to stop it there before he even got out of the Transportation Committee was, was a pretty big deal. So uh, that was that was pretty neat. Oh, oh, it's the time. It is it the time, Maddie. Yes. So since you're here twice, you get to answer the question twice. Um, you skipped out on the two um, Fast Fives, which is fine. We'll allow it. But you're not going to skip out of two unpopular aviation opinions. So, without further ado, unpopular opinion number two. See what it did uh, that kind of rhymed? Ah. It, it, it did rhyme. Uh, <laughs> talking too much at an uncontrolled airport. I tell you what. I mean, I learned to fly at an, at an uncontrolled airport. And I know there's different perspectives on this. And, and I, I know there's some people that are just scared to death to fly into an uncontrolled airport. And vice versa. There's folks yep. that are scared yep. to death to fly into a Class D. You know, it's like, oh my God, there's a ring of airspace there, and I'm going to bounce off of it. I was flying to a very popular airport here in Ohio uh, that has a very popular pilot supply I can't imagine where you're talking about. Here. <laughs> and um, uh, it was not work-related. I was going over there just to visit some folks and uh it's a nice saturday evening there was a guy I don't, I don't know what he was flying or what he said but he was going where i was going and he let everybody know where he was every two miles i mean it was overkill like i i call a 10 mile and a five mile and then the pattern right like yep. that's boom, yep. boom 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 i mean he was calling 20 miles 18 miles he put in his drink order and then he <laughs> called 15 miles and then he's like, oh, by the way, I'm not there yet because I'm in a slow airplane, so can you keep that warm for me? <laughs> uh, I've got so much gas left. I mean, it was just like, dude, you Get know. Get the ground, then do it. It was uh, a little much. And, and I hear that, too, you know. I mean, yeah, what radio call should you make? We're all not perfect when we go to a slow, uncontrolled airport. I mean, heck, sometimes I don't talk on the radio at all, right? Like, if I don't hear anybody, I'm not, like, in dire need to tell them exactly, you know, talk to the wind out there, but... You know, just make the basic call. You know, upwind, crosswind, downwind, base, and final. Left final. Or better yet, base to final. You know? Yeah. You combine two right there, and like, then you know exactly where they're at. They're a 45 off the end, off the core of the runway. Uh -huh. And you probably yeah. see them better because they're in a turn. You know? That's probably my other pet peeve is just talking way too much on the radio. Um, I did have a situation where there was an aircraft in distress. Uh, at an airport I was going to, uh, he was losing oil pressure, like one fit, you know, oil on the window stuff. And there's a dude that wants to two just flying the pattern and is like totally oblivious that this guy's three miles out and might not make it to the airport. You know, and I'm about 15 miles out hearing all this. Here's 172. Well, I'm climbing crosswind. I'm downwind and here's the dude, you know, trying to give position reports on his situation yeah and he's getting ready to turn base to final and here's a guy with an engine out you know uh again that whole situational awareness thing know what's going right. on accommodate other people uh we appreciate the 
almost three hours now you've spent with us uh, to create two podcast episodes. Thank you so much again for your time and sharing a little bit more about yourself and what your role is with AOPA. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, you're doing the hard work here, uh, putting this together, and I, I appreciate being able to get the message out through your podcast and to your listeners. Uh, maybe we'll get somebody that doesn't know about a AOPA. You know, pick up some new members, uh, new team members, obviously, for our, our, our outreach and our education. Aviation evangelism, as you might call it. <laughs> I like that. Uh, but <laughs> I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time with me and letting me ramble as much as I have. And if there's any other topics that, as a listener, somebody might want to know more about, get them in touch with me. Uh, you put my email. You can put the uh, AOP webpage uh, associated with me uh, on, on, your, uh, on your link. And we will chat with them. Anything they need, we're we're here to advise and strategize and and uh, even talk over a cup of coffee. Under Safety Foundation, yes, and also Air please, Safety Foundation. Yeah, please. Um, if if that is in your plans uh, this year to donate to a worthwhile cause, uh, the AOPA Foundation, uh, high school STEM programming. Uh, I'd love to talk more about that on a future episode, uh, or bring in the expert for that matter. Uh, and also the Air Safety Institute uh, and all the great work that Richard McSpadden and his team is doing doing on that side. So uh, please remember that uh, in in your plans. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. It's been, been great. It's been a blast. Well, we hope you enjoyed our second part of our interview with Kyle Lewis from AOPA. We want to thank him so much for coming onto the podcast. Hey, Maddie, what, what do we have coming up on next episode? Next episode, we are excited to bring on Liz Kaylee from Jeppesen. This is, I'm extremely excited for this episode because I actually have gotten to meet Liz on a number of occasions and we have actually been able to keep in touch a little bit. So um, I'm really excited to uh, bring her on the podcast finally. I actually got to speak to her at last Oshkosh and we actually planned on getting together for this uh, episode. So it's a long time in the making. While she's on, we'll get to know a little bit about her and her history with Jeppesen and also what uh, she and Jeppesen have planned for the future. On a show of hands, who has used that product as part of their flight training at some point in time? The Jeppesen textbooks. Oops. I think every single one of us. So I think they have a great product, and I was really excited to talk with her, too. Well, this has been a fun night. I think it has. We, I've had a lot of fun, and it's been really great having you back, Trevor, and goofing around for the last... Last time? No. <laughs> For the last couple of Trevor. hours, that's what I was going to say. God. We're the kings at turning three hours of raw audio into one hour of a podcast. Is this even going to be an hour? <laughs> yeah, we're clearly professionals. No. No. However, if you still would like to support our podcast, we have merch for you to check out on our website, flyingmidwest.com forward slash merch. That is one way that you can give back to the podcast and help us bring our content to all of you. And another way that you can give back to our podcast is through our new Patreon page. If you've been checking out our social media posts over the last couple of days, you've likely seen some information about the Patreon. Uh, we hope to bring you more content within that exclusive to our patrons. It's a way to help give back to the podcast as well as see more exclusive content from all of us, including a return of a old favorite, the CFI Minute from Maddie. We'll also have the return of another old favorite, the This Week in Aviation History as well as doing some blog and blog posts on my own personal journey through the CFI process and some of our flying that we do and events throughout the summer. So if you're interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash flying Midwest podcast, and there'll be a link for that in the show notes as well. Um, our tiers for membership are a $3 a month, $5 a month, $10 per month, and a $20 per month. Um, those are things that you can check out further information on on the Patreon site as well. Also, if you like what we're doing with the podcast, want to leave us a note, want to be a guest on a future episode, go ahead and reach out to us at flyingwidwestpodcast at gmail.com or on any of our social media sites. Until next time. See ya. See ya. See ya. Thanks so much for joining us on the Flying Midwest Podcast. Until next time, podcast service terminated, Squawk VFR, frequency change approved. Good day. It's so lazy, and it's the huh. same format, so I know it's an instructor teaching them this specifically, and it boils my blood. Ugh.
Oh, it makes me so mad. It does! <laughs> it's so lazy! Boils my blood. That'd be great for Halloween. <laughs> Trevor, I enjoy your presence very much, but what I don't appreciate is your chewing noises. I'm sorry. Chewing. My kid does that. It drives me crazy. I can't stand chewing noises. Like, Lord, give me patience. <laughs> oh, hang on. You know who's the worst about mouth noises? Old people. You know what I'd like to do with this content we've created right now? Um, this should Start be a real. No, 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 no. <laughs> I want to edit it down and make a reel about, and just make it like a, a TV ad. Like, you know what I hate about things? Old people. Da, da, da. I don't know. <laughs> On our way down to Indiana. Let's not sit. Let's not do that. All right. <laughs> oh, it's going in now. So the FAA airport and air Wow. I see, said the blind man to the deaf dog. Oh, the deaf dog. I haven't heard that take on it before. I haven't even. As he picked up his hammer That's and actually really funny. nails. That's I've the one I always that, say. Yeah. All right. We just need to get this over with because my brain has started to say, bah. That's three of us. God bless America. You're going to make me... <laughs> going to make me lose my mind. Up in... Can't lose what you never have. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Maddie. All right. Let's brain hurricane this. See what we come up with. You can't say storm anymore. I think that I've heard that you're not allowed to say brainstorm anymore. It's derogatory towards somebody. <laughs> storm chasers. It's derogatory so... towards storm chasers. Sorry, Nicole Mitchell. <laughs> I thought, you know, no, there was no thoughts, just words. Okay. It's fine. That happens every week. So on this episode, we're going to be joined by Kyle Lewis, who is the regional assistant to the regional manager, is what was starting to... <laughs> I can't get it out of my head. Yeah, and there's always two sides. And I always yep. like to say, uh, there's my story, there's your story, then there's the truth. Uh-huh. Right. Um, now I know so you're that... a cop. <laughs> 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 It does yeah. not matter. Well, unless you're a balloon, apparently. I think balloons now have the right of way. Oh, do they really? No matter what. Unless they're from China. <laughs> no, they have the right of way. You made it all. Oh, <laughs> made it you all sure one. did. You sure did. <laughs> yeah. Another splash ship. Talking about the, I wonder if it's the same pilot shooting all these things down so you can get ace. All right, so that's two episodes. You've sat down and talked with us for probably a total of about almost three hours now. So we apologize for the time wasted. <laughs> <laughs> That's going that to the bloopers, negative. though. That was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>